Bring it in. Here we are, Friday, week before, week 18. The first ever week 18 in the uh, NFL's history. Pretty wild. Um, Going to talk a little bit about that before we give our picks and everything else, because I am, I am curious as to just kind of how people's gauge having this extra week, right? Because... It does kind of feel like, and I can't believe I'm even saying this, like the season's kind of drug on a little bit longer than I thought. Um, I in no way would think, oh, man, like 18 weeks might be too much. Like I really thought that it wouldn't feel this way, but weirdly enough, it kind of has. It kind of feels like it's almost, almost a little too much. And, you know, I don't – look, I'm not going to sit here and say I hate it. Uh, and. and the weird thing is a lot of these week 18 games, I'm not really sure how much they're going to matter. Uh, some of them do. Like, there's definitely some seeding stuff that can go on. But I'd say when you just look at the schedule, probably about half of them just don't matter. And I'm not sure if that's good or bad. Now, week 17 has kind of always been that way anyway. So maybe it's just prolonging the inevitable. And then week 17 becomes what week 16 was, and it just gets a little more exciting. There's more movement. Um but I'll tell you what, it's hard to argue with the results from the AFC and just how bizarre this season has been and how exciting it's been down the stretch. But I don't know how much has to do with the 18-week schedule versus how much it's just kind of been a weird season with COVID and everything else that's kind of impacted it. So we're going to get into all of that. Um, we are a little bit late today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys an opportunity to, to take a peek behind the curtain here. And we do this every once in a while. It's a little inside baseball, but you know how, uh, by the way, I am solo today as well. Some scheduling stuff uh, happened with uh, with our man Vito and just some confusing uh, communication errors, which I will I will take responsibility as the guy with the name on the podcast. But uh, so you're getting another solo one from me today. But I can promise you that we will have 100 percent certainty all three of us together next week at some point uh, to recap, you know, the Cotterball Playoff National Championship, as well as, you know, preview what's going to be hopefully an, an, an epic and exciting uh, NFL playoff season, right? Because it looks as of right now, as we went through on Tuesday's pod, that there's a bunch going on. But again, apologies for this pod being late. And the reason it's late, pulling you behind the curtain inside baseball here, uh, you know how everyone has things like you, you wake up late for work or you know, you forgot to title an email wrong, just like things that just make you feel dread inside. For me, in working in this field and having recorded podcasts professionally and uh, obviously doing it myself here on this podcast and working in radio, there is no feeling worse than when you record something and the technology screws it up and you have to redo it. And that's essentially what happened to me last night I recorded a pod solo, spent a solid hour and a half on it, had all my research and notes and everything ready to go. And as the, as the link and everything was downloading, the recording was downloading, uh, there was an error and I, I lost the whole thing, lost the whole podcast. So then I was going to wake up early and record it this morning 
on Friday here. Uh, and I, I overslept a little bit and didn't have time before I had to go into work and uh, get ready for work. So here we are. It's a late pod and apologies. I hope you get a chance to listen to this uh, on Saturday and, and hopefully even on Monday before the college football national championship kicks off uh, Georgia and Bama. And that's where we're going to start. Cause I said on Tuesdays, we're going to, I want to give a full in-depth preview of this game because it's a pretty epic game, right? We can sit here and be, you know, annoyed or frustrated or mad or, or pick whatever, you know, adjective you want about the fact that it's two SEC teams again here. But I stand pat in that the best part about the college football playoff, and if you are in just an overall college football fan, right, you don't have an allegiance to the Big Ten or the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or the ACC. If you're just a general college football fan, this is great, right? Like the college football playoff has crushed it every single year. The semifinals we talked about, they're not great, right? Historically, we've only had two games that were one possession games in the college football playoffs, 16 semifinal games since it was created eight years ago. But the one thing that it's always gotten right is that we end up with the two best teams in the college football playoff. And we, I was working with uh, Mark Packer yesterday, who, if you don't know, he's kind of our version of Feinbaum, but not a complete and total buffoon and idiot and asshole. Um, Pack takes a lot of calls and he always throws out questions to the, to, you know, to the listeners to call in and answer. And his question uh, yesterday pertained to old school versus new school. And he went back to 1980, which was the last time that Georgia won a national championship. And he said, and what the whole premise of the question was, would you rather, you know, basically wave the magic wand and boom, we have 1980 again, but in modern day football, or would you rather be the way it is now, right? In 1980, there was only 14 bowl games in total. This year, I think we have like 36, I think was the final number, uh, and, and I don't know how many of that includes the games that were canceled because of COVID and, and all the other stuff that kind of went on in there. Um, but again, a significant amount, almost triple the amount of bowl games now than we had in 1980. But of those 14 games, 10 of them were ranked on ranked matchups, according to the AP poll. So the quality was better. The quantity was lower. The one part of that, though, and this is when two teams got voted in by the AP poll to play for the national championship. You would have other teams who thought that they were actually the national championships just, just declare that, oh, actually, we won the 1983 national championship. We decided that. You know, the AP poll, you know, screwed us and we didn't get a chance. We finished 13 and one or 12 and one. We're actually the national champions of college football. In the modern day, we don't have that problem, right? And then again, you look back to 1980. Well, 1980, the number one, the number two, number three, and number four ranked teams all played in different bowl games. And Georgia, I believe, ended up beating, I don't have the team off the top of my head. It might have been Florida State. I don't want to, don't quote me on that. But the team that they ended up beating in the national championship game was the number five team ranked in the AP poll. But for whatever reason, they ended up playing in the national championship game because, again, the voting system was completely different. So the whole idea of one true champion just didn't exist. And then you look at the BCS era, right, where it was a computer who picked 
who the top two teams were, but you still had teams who went undefeated, who didn't get a chance to play because they could only take two. And so even though we do have these blowouts in the semifinals, it's inarguable to say that the college football playoff hasn't done its job, which is get the best two teams in the national championship every single year. And every single year, it's done that. It's put the best two teams in the final game. And sometimes the final game is a blowout. And sometimes it's Hunter Renfro catching a walk-off touchdown from Deshaun Watson. Sometimes it's LSU and Joe Burrow, you know, beating the crap out of, uh, I forget who they beat in that national championship game. I want to say Clemson it was, right? Yeah, because Clemson beat Ohio State. And then, yeah. So that's going to happen some years. But unequivocally, Clemson and LSU were the two best teams in college football that year. Unequivocally, last year, Ohio State and Alabama were the two best teams in college football. Through the, the, the three-peat between Clemson and Alabama, when they scored off there at the college football playoffs, they were always two of the top four teams. And so we can sit here and be annoyed that it's still Bama and Georgia, but it's a much more systematic issue, which hopefully the transfer portal, NIL, some of those things will help, and hopefully an expanded playoff will also help that as well because you'll get more upsets and you're not going to be reliant on just two semifinal games to set up your national championship. But this year, if again, if you're a fan of college football, how can you be mad? We have two fantastic teams. And yes, we saw them play a month ago in the SEC championship game. But that doesn't take away from the fact that they are the two best teams in college football and they proved it in the semifinals. Cincinnati was absolutely deserving to be there this year of all years. And, I mean, you can say, oh, Oklahoma State or Notre Dame or any of these other teams, it'd be hard to make that case. But even if they did get in over Cincinnati, are any of those teams going to put up a better fight against Alabama? The answer is probably not. And I don't think any of those teams are going to beat Alabama. And you look at Georgia. Yeah, Georgia lost Alabama in the SEC championship game. But unequivocally, like Michigan – dominated Ohio State, especially in the trenches, like absolutely wore them out. They were up 13 or 16, however many points it was against Michigan State. And Michigan State came back, and, and it was an unbelievable game that we had on Halloween weekend. But Michigan still was the best team coming out of the Big Ten. They only lost one game, which they were up 16 points. And, yes, they blew the lead, but they still dominated the first three quarters of that game. So we had the four best teams. And the goal of getting the four best teams is that the, the top two teams are going to work themselves out. And that's what we have here. The two best teams in the line of scrimmage. One of the best, if not the best quarterback in college football and the Heisman winner in Bryce Young. The best wide receiver room, or at least one of the top two. The two best defenses in college football. Two of the best running back rooms. and Two of the best head coaches, definitely the number one head coach, and Kirby Smart's in the top four. Two of the top three recruiters in college football. These are the best two teams. So we can sit here and get mad about it and cry about it, or we can just look forward to what should be a really entertaining game on Monday night. Now, I've gone back and forth on this because I see these games, this game playing out in. in two different ways. Either 
an all-time type of classic, like the last time we saw Georgia and Alabama play in the national championship game, right? The Tua touchdown pass to Devontae Smith, the walk-off in overtime. Or we see a repeat of what we saw in the SEC championship game. Now, when you break it down by position groups, Georgia, they're great up front. They got fantastic offensive linemen. They, in my opinion, easily could have won the Joe Moore Award, which goes to the best offensive line in college football. That went to Michigan. Well, they lined up against Michigan. Jordan Davis, right, that that defensive line at Georgia, they lined up against Michigan, and uh, they dominated them. Georgia's offensive line went up against two first-round picks on the outside in David Ojabo and Aiden Hutchinson, and they mauled those guys. Aiden Hutchinson was a non-factor in that game, and I was wrong when I talked about him earlier in the year. I didn't think he was going to be you know, a stud NFL first-round pick. I figured he would get drafted. I thought he was maybe a little bit better than like Chase Winovich, who I think was a third-round pick when he went to New England. But I didn't think he was going to be 14 and a half sacks, you know, finalist for the Heisman. And the narrative drove him to the Heisman side of it. But he's a pretty damn good football player. I don't think he's number one overall pick worthy like he's been talked about, though. If you're Detroit, I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau is still probably the best player in this draft. Number one overall picks don't get worked against guys that they have to go up against. Like, no offense to Purdue or, you know, even Wisconsin, who historically has a great offensive line, Penn State, all those schools, they don't have the starting left tackles who go on to play in the NFL, at least not this year. And Michigan and Aiden Hutchinson was dominating those guys. But the second he goes up against guys that Georgia has who are going to go off and be NFL stars, he wasn't that great. Those are the kind of guys that he's going to have to go up against week in and week out in the NFL. And he was a complete non-factor. So again, love Aiden Hutchinson. He's not a number one overall pick guy. Top 10, you want to take the chance on because he does have a lot of the intangibles. He does bull rush guys. He does do a lot of really impressive things on a football field. I I would have no problem with him being a first-round pick. But I think this whole number one overall talk was probably just a little bit uh, over-exaggerated. Now I'm going on a diatribe here, but the point is, Georgia's offensive line is really good. Now, they're going to have an extra handful, right, going up against Will Anderson. And the Alabama defensive line is not the Alabama defensive line we've seen in the past. Right? There is no Deron Payne on this team. Right? Like, we're not seeing Quinn uh, uh, and Williams in this game. We're seeing a bunch of really, really good guys who are a little bit younger who probably will end up playing in the NFL. But we're not talking about an all-time defensive line here. But what they do have is an edge guy, an outside linebacker, who acts as a D-end a lot of times, and Will Anderson. And Will Anderson's going to put every ounce of his being into disrupting this game. So how does Georgia handle Will Anderson coming off the edge, which he does about 50% of the time? Well, you're going to have to chip him, right? You're going to have to use your, your tight end. They have Darnell Washington, who, if you haven't seen him, Dude's an athletic freak. Everyone thought he was going to be the star tight end coming into this season. Brock Bowers ended up taking that mantle from him, though. Alabama has pieces on the defensive line to cause Georgia issues. We saw it in the second 
back half of the second quarter and in the second half when they played in the SEC championship game. But Georgia's offensive line is going to need help. And that's that's essentially the big difference here, is that Will Anderson could theoretically end up being a one-man wrecking crew. On the opposite side, though, right, reverse it, Alabama's offensive line, again, not their best that they've ever had, but, and this is what Nick Saban does so well, we've talked about with Belichick too, it's the way he prepares his team for the entire season, right? He sees the bigger picture, right? They didn't look great against Texas A&M, right? Those interior guys on Texas A&M took their lunch money straight up. But by the time the season ended, Alabama's offensive line was playing at an elite level. And they were so prepared that the starting center for Alabama was making his first start ever in the SEC championship game. And he took on Jordan Davis, a guy who is, again, another first-round pick, huge monstrous interior defensive lineman who did nothing but wreck games night in and game in game out week in week out and he he completely made them a non-factor but how do they do that well jordan davis is a big boy all right jordan davis you wouldn't call him you know a speedster right And, and honestly alabama challenged his endurance Alabama said, we're going to sacrifice some plays. We're going to make you go sideline in the sideline. We're going to tire you out early. And when you look at the snap count by the end of the game, Jordan Davis was on the field less than 50% of the snaps for Georgia. A guy who's arguably their best defensive player. Well, second best. Nicobe Dean, the linebacker from Georgia, is arguably the best defensive player behind Will Anderson in college football, but is in that conversation for definite first-round pick this year. Like Georgia is linebacker you, right? Whether you want to go back to Roquan Smith and some of the other guys that they've had over the years, Georgia puts out linebackers at a, at a rate that is special. And Nicobe Dean is a monster, but they also have Nolan Smith. And by far, that's the best linebacking core in college football. So you ask yourself, all right, Jeff, well, they have this great defensive line. They have Jordan Davis. Yes, they tired him out, but they still have other horses in there. And then you factor in, okay, well, they have the two best line, two of the best linebackers in college football. How did Alabama move the ball so well? Well, Georgia, just like every team, has a weakness. And for them, it's their secondary. It didn't matter throughout the course of the season until they played Alabama because Georgia wasn't really tested. We saw how feeble the Clemson offense looked this year, right? So Clemson wasn't able to challenge them on the outside and wasn't able to challenge them through the air. The first team that had the capability of doing that was Alabama. So by the time they got to that game – Alabama was chomping at the bits. They were like, we're going to sling this ball and we're going to let Bryce Young do his magic in the pocket, scramble around and make plays for us because that's what Bryce Young excels at. His ability to throw off platform is already at an elite level as a redshirt freshman, not or technically, I guess, a sophomore, because I think he played enough games his true freshman year. Bryce Young is a, is a stud. Right, threw for 4,500 yards, 46 touchdowns, and five interceptions this year. And what was considered up until the SEC championship game kind of a down year for Alabama. That's just the level that they're at. So I, I Alabama's not going to be able to do, and I said this on Tuesday's pod, you know, what they did against Cincinnati, right? Which was they knew that Cincinnati's defense was elite on the outside an elite in the secondary, but where they were lacking was that linebacker and interior defensive line, even though they had a couple edge rushers who could, you know, put pressure on Bryce Young. And they did. Bryce Young still made enough plays and Brian Robinson had a monster day on the ground. They're not going to be able to run the ball the same way against Georgia. And they know that 
So Bill O'Brien and Nick Saban, their game plan for this is probably not going to be all that much different than what it was the last time they played. Now, some would say, hey, you know what? Does that put Georgia uh, in the driver's seat here? Does that help Georgia more than it uh, helps Alabama? Because Alabama's already done it once. Do you mess with the formula or do you do what worked the last time? Because Georgia's going to make adjustments and Georgia's going to approach the game differently. We were talking to Aaron Murray yesterday who played quarterback at Georgia and his explanation for a lot of the, the mistakes that Georgia made made a lot of sense, right? Which is when you get into these big games, games that matter, especially when you're starting to press, right? You're starting to get down in the game. A team like Georgia that hadn't lost the game all year, you start trying too hard, trying to do too much. And the best example of that was in the deep ball, the deep touchdown, I think it was like 70-something yards, to Jameson Williams that completely broke that game and flipped that game wide or completely around where it seemed like Georgia was in control 10-0, and then all of a sudden, bang, two scores, Alabama's up 14-10. to And on that play where Jameson Williams broke it deep, John Mechie's on one side, Jameson Williams on the other. They run a little bit of a cross pattern, and instead of staying with his guy, which is what he had been doing all year, which is Jameson Williams, the cornerback who was covering Jameson Williams decided to jump up and try to double-team John Mechie because he thought he was going to throw the under route. Instead, Jamison Williams ran up running a deep cross. Bryce Young hits him. He has about five yards of separation, and you're not catching Jamison Williams. Now, for Georgia, the positive, which is a shame for Alabama, and you hate to see people get hurt, is that John Mechie tore his ACL in the SEC championship game. So there is no John Mechie in this game. And Jamison Williams, as we saw in the semifinal, got used completely different. He became what Mechie was, which was he's the possession receiver. He's going to be the reliable safety blanket. He's the guy who's going to get open five yards, keep the chains moving, stay ahead of the chains because they know that he knows that Bryce Young's going to be able to give him the ball whenever he wants to. And so if Georgia can just stick to what they do, right? Don't try to make the hero play. Do what the coaches tell you to do. Do what you're coached up to do. Georgia's defense by nature, should be significantly better in this game than it was against Alabama the first time around. The other thing here, in more favor of Alabama, is there's only been one game played between these two, right? It's not like they played in week six, and then there's all this game film. They can go back and say, oh, you get more information. No, they played one game, and Alabama, for the most part, handled Cincinnati pretty comfortably. Now, that game was closer, you know, especially in the first half. And, and I talked about the muff punt and how close that game was from flipping and being far more competitive. But that second half was all Alabama. And once Alabama sniffs that lead, it's impossible to get it back, especially when they're running the ball as well as Brian Robinson did. So if you're Georgia, what do you do to fix it, right? How do you, how do you take that 10 nothing lead like they had in the opening game and run that back? I personally, and again, from talking to people and talking about this game all week, I think the smart move is to worry less about the running game of Alabama, right? If you have the big uglies up front and you have a guy like Nicobe Dean, then that should be enough to keep Brian, Brian Robinson at bay. So that means you're probably going to have to devote more resources into your secondary, right? Whether it's coming up with a few more exotic schemes right? Uh, trying to disguise coverages differently and probably more often than they were doing so in the first matchup. But they also have to get pressure on, on Bryce Young when he drops back. Bryce Young can slice and dice teams and has been doing it all year. And he, they did it against Georgia. 
And so you can either sell out and say, we're going to just wreak havoc along the front, along the, the line of scrimmage, and we're going to make Bryce Young uncomfortable and gamble and say that we think we can do this and still trust that our guys learn from mistakes in the first matchup. Or you can try to mix and match a little bit more. And I, I think they're going to try to mix and match a little bit more. They should be able to get pressure with the front four that they have. And knowing Kirby Smart, he has Jordan Davis running freaking wind sprints every single day, right? Jordan Davis can't play in less than 50% of snaps in this game. He can't. You need him on the field as much as possible. And so in doing so, you have to get pressure and you have to keep control of the ball. Georgia's offense is probably the biggest key in this game. Georgia's offense has to play possession football to an extent, right? You can't, because you can't just run the ball. You're going to have to take a couple of chances, but they're going to have to be able to run the ball, which they did well against Alabama the first time. And you're going to have to work your play action off of it, right? Get Brock Bowers involved, right? Get, Darnell Washington involved. Get George Pickens involved, who, again, is still less than, what, nine months removed from tearing his ACL last spring. So you can't rely on him a ton, but if he's your third option, a guy who many consider to be one of the best wide receiver prospects in the country, then you should be able to rely on him a little bit here. But Georgia has to be able to run the ball first and foremost. Like I said, Stetson Bennett was not the problem in the first game. Yes, he threw a couple of interceptions, but they weren't all bad. And there were a couple of key drops when they had opportunities to make a play where his wide receiver or his tight end let him down. Stetson Bennett, for the most part in that game, played well. And then at the end of it, yes, he was pressing, threw another interception, made some mistakes. But at that point, they were down big. They needed to move the ball. They needed to score. And then you're putting it all on the arm of Stetson Bennett, which is not where you want to be. You want to be able to control the game. You want to be able to run the read option where, you know, Stetson Bennett can pull and, and, and use his legs because he's a good – he's a very good athlete. He's a guy that when you can put him in space can make things happen for your team. But Georgia has to control the football. They have to get Zeus White going, right? Zeus White – and they have a nice backfield. They got, they're three deep at running back. Zeus is like their number one guy, but they have other guys behind him. So for Georgia, you got to stop the run. You got to get pressure on Bryce Young using your front four and, and then taking risks when you need to. And then, of course, a lot of this is going to come down to the turnover battle, right? Bryce Young has five picks on the year. Stetson Bennett has seven. Neither team's running backs really cough up the ball a whole lot. These are two teams who, I mean, they're mirror images of each other. Kirby built Georgia in the same light that Alabama did in the earlier days. Now, they wanted to air it out more with JT Daniels, and if Jamie Newman had come back and played in the COVID year, right, that's what the, that's what the plan was initially when they brought in the new OC. But what they've resorted to, and it's a credit to Kirby Smart, is understanding your personnel understanding what you can get. And, and the fact that they never switched back to JT Daniels says a lot. I think it's a great move on George's part to stick with the guy who got you there, especially a guy who is going into this game not feeling like he has to be a superhero. 
if they start getting pressure on Bryce Young, Bryce Young's going to have to be a superhero. Now, the scary thing is, if you're Georgia, is that Bryce Young has proven he can do that. And that's what he did in the SEC championship game. But if they can make an ugly, gritty, tough-nosed game like the Alabama-Auburn game on rivalry weekend, like that's the kind of game that Georgia wins. In order to do that, Georgia's defensive line has to wreck all across the Alabama front. Which, again, the Alabama offensive line is not the best they've ever had. It's a young group. And so if they're able to make them uncomfortable, right, maybe force a turnover. We've seen Bryce Young make a couple of mistakes in big keys, big key moments. I think Georgia has a good chance of winning this game. And Vegas right now agrees. Vegas has Georgia as a two-point favorite. Now, this line actually opened up at about six and a half and since then has worked its way down to two. Because people are going to be like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to bet against Alabama. Because that would be a dumb thing to do, right? Betting against Alabama. But Georgia, I think, is the better and more complete football team. They have more experience. I think they're a little bit more talented on defense. But it's also a bad matchup for Georgia because the one thing that can hurt Georgia's defense is getting hit by the long ball. And Georgia's secondary has to play out of their mind, and I don't think they have the guys to do it. If Eric Stokes was still there, the first-round pick who's in Green Bay now, then this is Georgia all day long, and I don't even think Georgia loses in the SEC championship game to Alabama because Eric Stokes is faster than Jamison Williams, which is saying something. Eric Stokes ran like a 4-2-9-40. Georgia, I'm rooting for them. I like the team. I like Stetson Bennett. I like Kirby Smart. And I can talk about the X's and O's and all that shit that we're going to see on the field for, for days. And I'll probably be wrong about it more often than not. But the biggest, the biggest factor in this game, above all of the X's and O's and above everything else, is Georgia hasn't beaten Alabama since 2007. Kirby Smart has never beaten Nick Saban. Nick Saban had never lost to an assistant until this year when they lost to Texas a and in Jimbo in what was just a weird game in College Station. I don't know if Georgia has the mental fortitude to get over the hump, and not because I think they're mentally weak, but because I think it's such an impossible mountain to climb. Alabama is so freaking good. Any team goes in and plays Alabama, a team like Cincinnati, and it's the aura of Nick Saban. It's the experience in national championship games, and it's all of this stuff. You're going up against the greatest college football coach of all time. That mental block alone is tough, but then you factor in how personal it is between Georgia and Alabama. You factor in Kirby Smart. Like Kirby Smart has cracked under pressure against Alabama in the past. Remember, they were winning the national championship game before they benched Jalen Hurts at, at halftime and they brought into it. Georgia was winning that game. Jake Fromm looked great. Nick Chubb running all over the place. Sony Michelle, like that team was loaded. Roquan Smith flying around the field. You could make the argument that team's better than this year's Georgia team, at least more complete on both sides of the football. I'd say Georgia's defense is a little bit better this year, but not by a whole lot. And remember in the SEC championship game that year, the fake punt 
you have Justin Fields on the sideline and you run the fake punt. It's the only play he gets in in the game right before half. And you're like, what are you doing? And Alabama goes, goes down and scores and that game completely flips. Kirby Smart has crumbled going up against Nick Saban. And I like Kirby. I think he's an awesome coach. But I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. So my official pick is I'm taking Alabama. I've been wrong in the past. I bet against Tom Brady in like our third episode ever when we were previewing the, the Super Bowl, right? I, I've, I've bet against several guys that are the quote-unquote goats, whether it's Belichick. I've even done it with Nick Saban. And I've been wrong pretty much every time. And you know what? I'm not doing it here. I'm pretty sure I picked Georgia to win the SEC championship game. I'm taking Alabama. I'm taking Nick Saban. Bryce Young is too good. The best player on the field at any given moment is going to be on Alabama. Bryce Young, best player on the field. When Alabama's defense is on the field, it's going to be Will Anderson. George, not to say it's impossible, but I'm taking Bama. You're getting two points. Roll Tide. Quick break, come back, previewing week 18 in the NFL. All right, week 18, the NFL season. Coming in now, want to give everybody our, uh, our updates here. Now, we have not picked games in a couple weeks. Uh, part of it was the holidays. Part of that was uh, some issues with getting everyone together to record. Um, so I'm disappointed in myself. I just want to have that out there first. My goal was to pick all 18 weeks. Uh, and we're, we missed two weeks. We missed week uh, 16 and week 17. But I do have updates for everybody um, as to where we stand heading into the final week of the regular season. And we will continue this on through, uh, you know, the end of the Super Bowl. And we'll get almost a complete season, uh, season's worth of picks. So, um, based off of our last picks, which included the FCS national champion or FCS semifinals and a bunch of other stuff, by the way, North Dakota State, Montana State, that game will be on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, and North Dakota State will win another national championship. Just calling it now. Montana State's a great story. North Dakota State's going to win another national championship. That's about all the FCS coverage we need. Um, but including all that, Scotty finishes up 30 and 34, Vito 30 and 12, and myself 43 and 36. So, uh, you know, Vito had that huge gap. He also hasn't picked since like week nine <laughs> uh, in college football. So I'm not going to, you know, he gets, he get, he wins, but he gets an asterisk on the year. And uh, look, 43 and 36 picking the amount of games that we did. I'm happy with that, but I'm, you know, let's just say I'm a little partial with how I finished more so than Vito um, in the NFL, where we stand now, Scotty in the lead 99 and 92. He's got seven, games above 500 um veto finishes dead 500 52 52 and one now again we will have the wild card and stuff so hopefully we can all get together give our picks for that and we can start to boost some of Vito's numbers and then uh your boy here has fallen down in the nfl ranks 107 112 and one um, not my best showing the last few weeks that we did picks but uh you know i'm right around it man i've been since uh let's see what was that week 13 Week 12, maybe it was. Uh, I was above 500, and um, I've slowly started to kind of dip down. But, 
Uh, I want to finish out strong here. And of course, I'm going to try to finish strong in what is known as the worst NFL week to gamble because you just have no idea who's playing. If I can give one piece of advice for gamblers out there, look at the games that matter, right? Which I, I said in the beginning, there's like three or four. And if you like a bet there, bet that. Stay away from the rest of these games. Or try to live bet it once you see who's playing and what teams are trying to do because we're going to see guys who are resting. Uh, it's not going to be the case for everybody, but for a lot of them. And uh, hopefully I have a big week 18 and, and can finish out on top. I feel good. I feel like I'm going to do well in the playoffs uh, and do well enough to get myself above 500 to close out the year. And against the spread in total on the season, Scotty, 129, 126, and one. Vito, 82, 64, and one. Again, it's been that way for about two months now because uh, he just, you know, we've gotten him on a couple of the Tuesday pods, but, you know, getting him on the Friday pods has been tough. Uh, and then myself, 149, 148, and one. So technically, we're all above 500. Happy days. Happy days. Uh, I'm two, two picks away from, uh, from being above uh, 300 games picked, um, which is wild. So we'll hit that mark here uh, heading into things. So we got two games on Saturday, 430 on ESPN. We got Chiefs and Broncos. Got a little Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreet on the call there. And then the 8-15, the typical Monday night booth game, we have Cowboys and the Eagles on Saturday night. So uh, Chiefs, Broncos, that's going to be our first one here. Um, look, Kansas City has, does have something to play for. This is not uh, one of those you know sitting games, right? If Houston pulls off the upset, which we've seen Houston do this year, we've seen Houston give teams really, really close games, and, and – for what it's worth, Davis Mills has not looked terrible all year. Um, you know, the Titans could lose. And then all of a sudden, we're looking at the Chiefs win, and they're the one seed. So the Chiefs are going to come out here, guns a-blazing. Um, the Broncos at 7-9, and nine, you know, I think they're going to try to give it their all, right? I mean, it's Vic Fangio. I, I don't know if he's fighting for his job, if he's, if he's coaching for his job. It, it does kind of feel like that. Um, not because he's done a bad job, but the offensive side has been so disappointing. The defense has been competitive in the three years he's been there, right? He's done a really good job getting in good players. They obviously traded away Von Miller halfway through the season. That's a tough loss to any sort of team. But I don't think the results have been there either. And if you're Denver, the way I look at it, you have two options, right? You either make the, the crazy trade for Aaron Rodgers uh, and, and you roll the dice with a good defense, a young defense, who's hopefully going to get better and young skill guys and invest in the offensive line. And, and hopefully you come away with Aaron Rodgers, and that's boom, all of a sudden you're a legitimate contender. However, I think the more realistic option is I think you look to kind of tear it down, you know, mediocrity is, is, a tough thing to when you're when you're consistently playing average and finishing average and you're eight and eight and seven and nine, you don't want to be in that no man's land, right? You either want to be one of the five worst teams in the league or one of the five best teams in the league, because outside of rare exceptions, you're not really going to finish much in between. You're not going to have a lot of success either way, either in the draft or in the playoffs, if you're not one of those in those two groups. You know, even if you want to say 10 and 10, whatever, fine. But to me, you want to be out of one of the five best teams or the five worst teams, because that's 
when you're going to be in position to either get the guy who's going to help completely change your, your, your program, your organization and completely turn it around. Or you are again, one of the top five teams and you're competing for a Super Bowl. So I, right now chiefs are minus 11. I again, I like Vic Fangio, but I think if this ends up getting ugly, which based off of how the chiefs offenses look, I think there's a pretty good chance that ends up happening. Um, I'm going to take Kansas city here to cover the 11, but again, if for some reason, you know, Mahomes decide, isn't playing or whatever. I mean, the Chiefs, again, the Chiefs have something to play for. But is it more – do you say, hey, you know what? It's not likely we're going to get the one seed because Tennessee is playing Houston. They're probably going to win that game. So is it really worth us risking Mahomes? Or, or, or do we want to take the extra week for our guys to get healthy and get ready for the first round of the playoffs? In my opinion, if you're Kansas City and you can make the playoffs go through Arrowhead, then you have to do that. Um, and as we stand right now, we still don't know exactly whether or not guys are starting or sitting. But again, Kansas City does have something to play for. I think Kansas City ends up playing their starters at least for the first half. Uh, and it's a, you know, it's they they go first, right? And it's not like they're playing at the same time as Tennessee. They can set the tone. They can put the pressure on Tennessee. And if you're the Houston Texans, you you don't want your division rival to be the number one seed in the playoffs. If you can take that from them. And that's just going to light the fire even more. Give me Kansas City and give me Kansas City to win big covering the 11. Uh, the night game, Philly and Dallas. Again, two teams that technically do have something to play for. There's an, there's an outside chance that Dallas could end up as the two seed, right? They need Tampa Bay to lose and they would need the Rams to lose. But there still is a chance that the Cowboys could end up getting the two seed. Not likely, but is possible. We've already seen Trevon Diggs is not making the, the trip up to Philly. Uh, Tony Pollard's not making a trip up to Philly uh, and one other um, one other starter. I forget who it is for Dallas is not making a trip up to Philly. Now the Eagles have been ravaged by COVID um, still a decent chance that they're going to be able to get guys back uh, again, as we stand right now, the guys who we know aren't playing uh, Nate Herbig is out. Um, obviously Miles Sanders is out. Lane Johnson is questionable. Landon Dickerson's questionable. Dallas Goddard was on the COVID list. Um, pull, I have the, the full length COVID reserve or the COVID list here for Philly. Um, just got to pull it up here, man. The injury lists here are just crazy long at this point of the season. Um, but if you hear is the Marcus Epps safety, he's out. Ryan McLeod out for COVID. Avante Maddox out for COVID. Fletcher Cox out for COVID. Jannard Avery uh, out for COVID. Uh, oh my God. Alex Singleton uh, out. Uh, Jack Stoll out. Dallas Goddard out. Boston Scott out. Jordan Howard out. This is, I mean, I just listed off about 10 starters for the Eagles. And what's wild is the number one most betted on team this week where the public has favored the most is the Eagles here. And the line started at minus seven for the Cowboys. It's dropped now to minus four for the Cowboys. And y'all know I'm an Eagles fan. I want to see the Eagles go out and win. I want to see the Eagles, you know, take this shit over and end the season with a win against Dallas. But Jalen Hurts is going to have to have the game of his life. Uh, he's missing arguably his top target in Dallas Goddard, whether it's him or Devonta Smith. I think they're about even there. They're going to be down two running backs. So it's going to be Kenny Gainwell. They signed carry on Johnson off of a practice squad or onto their practice squad this week. 
he had spent some time with them in training camp. So that's pretty much the only justification. I mean, I don't know how they're going to really move the ball much at all here. Miles Sanders still out with a broken hand. Um, it is not impossible because of the way that the COVID protocols work that we could see Dallas Goddard or some of these guys come back. But based off of where we stand now, and this is Friday, we're two days away. I don't think we're going to end up getting that. I'm taking the Cowboys to cover the four in Philly. Um, and again, it's not that Dallas has nothing to play for, even though it's a slight chance to get the two seed, to get the two seed, they still do. Um, but like, I mean, they lost Michael Gallup last week to a season ending injury um, in the ACL, which sucks, especially for a guy like that, who's in a contract year, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. It's a tough game to pick. If you're going to pick this game, don't do what I'm doing now, which is make your pick on a, on a Friday, wait until Sunday when we see who's actually active and who's not. But the Eagles are definitely uh, down manned on Saturday. Oh, that's right. And they're playing on Saturday too. So thanks NFL for flexing us to Saturday when all of our, when half of our team, you know, catches fucking COVID. All right. Uh, Sunday Bengals Browns Bengals resting Joe Burrow, resting a bunch of their starters Browns Baker, He's getting surgery. He's getting his shit taken care of. So we got a backup bowl here. All right. We got Case Keenum going up against uh, Brandon Allen. Um, Cleveland is a six point favorite. Um, you know, look, Cincinnati does still technically have a chance to move up in the rankings, um, but they would need some help, right? They would need Kansas city to lose. Uh, they would need Tennessee to lose. Uh, it's not likely that, Cincinnati can do anything. So to me, it makes sense that they're resting their guys. Um, and, and when you look at it, they're six point underdog to a, a bad, you know, Cleveland, they're eliminated. What are they playing for? You know, the only thing I can think of is, you know, you got Miles Garrett out there. Maybe Miles Garrett, Garrett's trying to go out and, and make his case for defensive player of the year. But I just, I don't, I, six points. I, to me, this is just going to be an ugly game. Like I have no feel for who's going to win this game. I'm going to go based off of the mentality, right? I mean, Cincinnati just came off of a huge win, right? Biggest win they've had in Cincinnati in probably the last decade. And especially in terms of just meaningful, right? You win the AFC North and you're beating Kansas City to do so. The Browns, they're eliminated from the playoffs. What's the point for them? Do you take the team? I mean, neither team has anything to play for. Right, so you take the team coming off the emotional letdown. You got Brandon Allen. I mean, Brandon Allen's playing to make sure he can continue to be a backup in the NFL for hopefully another five years and make that bread. We were going through Mike Mike Glennon and, and Chase Daniels have both made over thirty eight million dollars as backups in the NFL, which is unreal <laughs> when it comes down to it. Um, and I think every backup quarterback is just striving to be those guys right striving to make that kind of money and start less than uh like literally like mike glennon's been paid a million dollars per start and chase daniels who or chase daniel who has five career starts has made 38.5 million dollars uh quick math off the top of my head yeah it's about seven million dollars <laughs> seven and a half million dollars a start so pretty ridiculous stuff there um for chase daniel but hey good for him man get your bread um, I'm just going to take the points, you know, Cincinnati tries to keep it rolling, even though they're start, they're not starting a bunch of those guys. If you're Cleveland, uh, you know, what? no, give me, no, give me Cincy. I'm going to take Cincy. I like the Bengals. They're going to keep the mojo rolling, even with the backups in there. I, 
it's just a weird game to try to bet. Um, Green Bay at Detroit. Now, I saw a report today that Aaron Rodgers is planning on playing in this game. And as it stands now, Detroit is only a three-point underdog. So Rodgers is playing. He wants to play. He doesn't want the time off. He wants to keep the momentum rolling into the playoffs. And then they get the bye week anyway. So he doesn't want two weeks of rust. My guess is we probably see a half of Aaron Rodgers and Packers go up big and then it's probably over. You're getting Packers a three, Green Bay, boom, end of story. Um, Chicago at Minnesota, two teams with absolutely nothing to play for here. Uh, Chicago has looked really good since they've been eliminated, ironically enough. And meanwhile, Minnesota is crumbling here. Minnesota is a five and a half point favorite. I'm going to take the Bears um, just because it seems like, you know, Matt Nagy seems like his time's up there. Um, This is a battle of two coaches who are both on their way out the door. You know, it's just it's just an ugly, weird game. I don't I don't really like either pick here, but if I'm going to take one, I just think. I just think the sky's falling for, for Minnesota. And um, it just seems like a whole lot of uncertainty here. The Bears defense has played really well. They're coming off a huge win against Minnesota. So give me the Bears. Um, Washington football team at the New York football Giants. Washington football team is a seven-point favorite. It's hard to imagine. I don't know what the over-under is off the top of my head here. I should be able to pull it up um, based off the schedule. Um Overruns at 38, I would probably take the under here. I think this is going to be very low scoring and ugly. Uh, the Giants just can't move the football at all with anybody. And Washington is a much better team than I think their record says that they are. And I'm going to take Tyler Haneke, and we're going to get cover the seven there and, and give me Washington. Um, interesting game here, Indianapolis and Jacksonville. Now, Indy, if they lose – could theoretically not make the playoffs if I have that hundred percent correct. Um, correct. Yes. The Colts have not clinched a playoff spot. Uh, that is the doomsday situation here. Now they're a 15 point favorite at Jacksonville this week. Uh, basically they win they're in, I don't think they're in jeopardy of losing, but after the way they've looked the last couple of weeks, um, which has not been overly convincing, right? They look good on the, the cut was it that Thursday night game or Saturday on Christmas they played. Um, but I just – I think the Colts need to come out and show – like the Colts feel like a classic case of they peak too early. And I think they know that going into the playoffs here that they need a big win. So uh, I think they steamroll Jacksonville. We just saw the Patriots hang up 50 on Jacksonville. They're clearly out of this now. Um, Darren Bevel is not a guy who is going to uh, rally the troops, as it were. So give me the Colts here. I think Indy covers the 15 – uh, comfortably. I think this is probably a 20 to 30 point blowout. Similarly, similarly to what we saw against the Patriots, as we've said before, the Colts and the Patriots are two very similar teams in the way they're constructed. So uh, give me Indy. I think they're going to roll comfortably. And uh, I think Jonathan Taylor ends up, you know, with an absolutely monster game and, and continues. Plus I think there's a sneak, like if anybody's going to win the MVP besides Rogers, which Rogers should win unless people are just, you know, vengeful and they don't want to give it to him because the COVID stuff. Um, Jonathan Taylor is really the only other option. I think at this point, given how the rest of the season's kind of broken out uh, Pittsburgh at Baltimore, Baltimore's a three and a half point favorite. They're getting Tyler Hunley back. Um, it's been a weird season for Baltimore, right? Going from as high as the number one team in the AFC to now they're not even making the playoffs. 
finishing at eight and eight. They have a chance to finish with a, with a winning record and they have a chance to beat Big Ben one last time. Now, we think we saw Big Ben's final game, which, you know, it, it was cool to see. It was emotional, his final, final home game, I should say, because he does still have this game. Did they, you know, let all the air out of the balloon a little too early, right? Was, was it so emotional on, on Monday night that they don't have anything left in the tank for this game? I don't know. And it's a good question. But the Steelers just have not been able to move the ball well at all. I mean, Big Ben averaged 2.8 yards per attempt. 2.8 or yards per catch. 2.8. That's like a running back stat. That's horrible. We said it before, the lowest amount of yards for a quarterback who, who attempted more than 40 passes in NFL history. That is god-awful. The Steelers, or, or the Ravens, rather, I really like Tyler Huntley, and I think, again, he's a guy who's coming out there. He's trying to prove why he could be a starter somewhere, even though you know Baltimore does control his rights for another season. But every time he gets a start, it's an audition. And seeing the success that we've seen with Lamar Jackson, I think is going to trigger other teams, right? It's a copycat league, and other teams are going to try to build around that. And maybe Tyler Huntley gets a call. If not, he's trying to solidify that, yeah, you know what? I am the perfect backup for Lamar. And more than all of that, I just think the dude's a gamer. Like, I think he just shows up. I think he lives to play, and he loves being around there. And, and he played at Utah for Kyle Whittingham, who's that exact same kind of coach. Like, that's the exact kind of guy that Kyle Whittingham wants. So I'm going to take the Ravens here. It's a three-and-a-half-point spread, but give me the Ravens to cover uh, and beat Big Ben one last time. All right, Titans and Texans. This was another game we were talking about here. Uh, this is a, a pretty big deal for Tennessee. It's a win, and you get the one seed. Simple as that. You finish 12-5, and 12-1 season. You get the first round by. Road to the Super Bowl is going to be running through Nashville. Uh, and the Texans, on the opposite side here, the Texans have – absolutely been a frisky team right we've seen them almost beat uh, i believe they they beat tennessee earlier this season uh we've seen them uh, almost beat new england we, we've seen tennessee be a, a relatively competitive team and some weeks they've gotten the shit kicked out of them in other weeks they've looked pretty good so i think they're going to try to go out there and throw it um and tennis and tennessee on the other side is going to be like we just need to win the game we don't really care how much it's by and they're starting to get all those kinds of guys back. And the one thing about Tennessee, and we talked about this on Tuesday's pod, is just Dante Foreman. Like, he's becoming a really legitimate, like, starting caliber running back in the NFL, which if they do end up getting Derrick Henry back is great because now you'll be able to kind of manage some of his load, which the Derrick Henry stuff, I just don't know what to believe. I mean, there's people who think, you know, there was some week 16 rumblings or some week 17 there was even a little bit of week 18 rumblings, but then by the time they were here, they're like, no, we're going to wait for the playoffs. And it seems like it kind of just keeps getting pushed back. I don't know if that's an intentional thing where they're trying to make, you know, confused teams. Oh, we're going to have Derrick Henry. Are we not? They're trying to keep it hot shots. They're sending smoke signals. I mean, NFL teams do that shit. It's not, it's not like a new thing. Like it's also not fake. Like they teams do that stuff. Right now, Tennessee is a 10 point favorite. I don't know why, but I feel like this is going to be a close game. Now, Mike Vrabel is great at, hey, you know what? This team beat us on our home field on that sloppy, rainy game, and we're coming out here for revenge, and we got something to play for. But I just my hunch is that I think Houston's going to try to keep it close, but can they keep it to less than 10? I don't think so. 
But I think we're going to see a competitive game through the first half and the first three quarters. And I think Tennessee takes finds a way to take it over in the second half and blows them out. Well, not blows them out, but at least beats them by double digits. So I'm going to take Tennessee here to cover the 10 um, and clinch the number one seed in the AFC. Uh, Saints, Falcons. Now, the Saints have a chance to make the playoffs here, uh, which is pretty crazy to think about considering that the Saints have just been god-awful. Um, if the Niners lose, which they have to play the Rams, and again, the Rams, they're trying to win to, to secure that two seed, uh, that's a pretty big deal. That's, that's a pretty big deal. And I don't know if the Niners with Trey Lance are going to be able to make that done. So for the Saints, this game means a lot. Now, on the other side, the Falcons are the worst 7-9 and nine team I've ever seen in my life. Like, thinking about the Washington football team and other teams in the past who've been 7-9, and nine, how the Falcons are 7-9, and nine, I talked about all the credit we need to give Nick Sirianni for the job he's done with Philly. A lot of that has to go to Matt Ryan and Arthur Smith, too, man. They've done a hell of a job to pull off seven wins, but they're still not a good football team. Uh, there's reports out now that it seems like Calvin Ridley wants a fresh start, so he'll probably end up getting traded in the offseason, which is uh, bad news for Arthur Smith and bad news for, for the Falcons and Falcons fans. But look, with all the mental health stuff that he's been dealing with and he's taken the rest of the season to himself to get himself right, I, I actually understand and can empathize with that. And he just feels like he needs a fresh start. And he sacrificed a lot of money. He sacrificed a lot of game time and, and a lot of, you know, he was one of the top five receivers in football last year. And this year, you know, he's become an afterthought because we just haven't seen him on the field. Uh, I think the Saints win here because I feel like they, they just have to. Uh, and, and if they're able to shut down Tom Brady, I think this defense can do some pretty good things against Matt Ryan. Uh, I know Kyle Pitts has had a great year, by the way, it's ridiculous that he made the pro bowl as a rookie. Um, not that he hasn't had a good year. It's just like he's had half of a good year, but I also think that kind of speaks to tight end depth. I just thought Dallas Goddard's had a better season overall. And I thought Goddard deserved it, but you know, you could say the same thing about Goddard, right? Half the season he was competing for targets with Zach Ertz and Ertz had a good start to the year. And, you know, I think it just kind of works out that way, but I don't think the Falcons have enough in them to get it done. Uh, it's three and a half. It's not a crazy line, but the Saints, the way they can control the football with good, uh, really good defense, and then obviously being able to run it too. I'm going to take New Orleans to cover the three and a half. Um, New York Jets and Buffalo. Now, the Bills, they have, uh, I believe, also have something to play for because right now they've, uh, they're, they're first, right, because they didn't clinch the AFC East last week. So if they lose and New England wins, they're out of the, you know, they don't host a playoff game. But if they win, they host a playoff game. And look, they're playing the, they're playing the Jets at home. Um, the Jets, we just saw play really competitive against the, the Tampa Bay Bucks, which even just saying really competitive is kind of an understatement considering, you know, they should have won the game, right? Um, can they do that two weeks in a row? I don't think so. I give a lot of credit to Zach Wilson, though. For as bad as he looked through the first six weeks of the season, he's been pretty damn impressive uh, and just being able to handle everything. And the Bills, they still aren't super impressive. Uh, I thought that, you know, going into last week that they had kind of righted the ship, that they were going to come back and be the top team that we all kind of figured that they would be. They haven't been that. Um, you know, they were close close last week to, to losing in, in a game that they just had no business losing. Like 
that game in the second half against the Falcons, yes, they ended up blowing it out in, in the second half. Yes, they ended up winning by 14. But the fact that, you know, I think they might have even been losing at halftime. Um, yeah, they were down 15-14 at halftime because Atlanta had that goofy-ass safety to start off the game. Now, of course, they righted the ship and looked great in the second half for, you know, the remainder of the game. But can the Jets be frisky enough? Will they do it in week 18? Has that team just given up? I don't know. I mean, this is the kind of shit where Robert Salah is like, no, he's he's the gamer. He's the guy that everybody wants to play for and fight for. And that's kind of his whole shtick. Will we see that in this game competing one last time, trying to spoil the Bills season? I don't think so. But could they do it enough to cover the 16? Yes. I'm not going to take it, though. I'm going to get it's a huge line. Um, but I'm going to take the Bills to cover the 16. Um, San Francisco and L.A. Right now, the Rams are a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Again, both teams have something to play for. The Niners need to win. But they're starting Trey Lance, and Trey Lance didn't look great. Now, the dudes had two career starts, right? Let's pump the brakes and everything. We knew he was raw. We knew he was going to need development. But the problem with that is this is a team fighting for a playoff spot. Now, the Niners, uh, you know, the, AF, the NFC West is just weird because it feels like certain matchups, the other team just has their number, right? Um, the Rams haven't looked good in a couple of weeks, but that usually means that they're going to look good the next week. Um, they're a team of, of big swings. And the one thing the Rams have done a good job of is defense. And for as much as I like the Niners defense, and I think the Niners defense will keep them competitive in this game. I just don't trust Trey Lance right now. I, I, I really don't. And I think the Rams, um, obviously they're great on the defensive line, but whether it, you know, it's Leonard Floyd or, or, you know, Jalen Ramsey playing that star position, they're going to make life miserable for Trey Lance. I think they're going to make it, a, it's going to be tough. And, and look, if you're the Rams, you can finish 13 and four, you secure that home, you know, playoff game. That's huge for them. I'm going to take the Rams plus it's only four and a half. And to me, like I would have this line at seven and a half. So if you go through, and it's one of the things I try to do when I'm looking at games and picking games if you go through and, you know, it's like, where would you have this line at? Sometimes it's dead on. Sometimes you might see something different. Now, of course, Vegas knows better than, than pretty much everyone else, right? That's why they're the Sharks. That's why they're the ones who set the line because they're elite at it. But sometimes I think, well, and sometimes too, you got to remember public persuasion affects the lines as well, right? So it's not just like, like for me, looking at two football teams with Trey Lance versus not the Rams, they have, you know, a much better team top to bottom. Now, we don't know if the Rams are going to rest anybody. I don't think they will because, again, I think they really want to secure that number two seed because then you're you're hosting a second-round playoff game, too, if you win week one. So that two seed is valuable, and I think the Rams are going to go after it, and I think they're going to go after it hard, and the line's only at four and a half. But, of course, in the back of your head, you go, well, does Vegas know something we don't know, or has most of the public money gone towards the Niners? And most of the public money, when this line opened up, went towards the Niners. It dropped the line down. Again, I would have this at seven and a half for the Rams. It's at four and a half. You're getting three extra points on what you think the game's going to be. I'm taking the Rams. I know that was a long-winded explanation of it, but I think it's fun sometimes to go through the mental exercise. Uh, Pats, Dolphins. New England's a six-point favorite on the road here. Um, this is another weird one, right? Dolphins are out of the playoffs. Not going to make it this year. Unbelievable stretch. But again, they, they were playing bad quarterbacks pretty much the whole time, except for the one game against uh, Lamar and, and the Ravens, which I think was a Thursday night game. Um, 
the Patriots and Dolphins seem to have, and this has been something that's been talked to death all week. I've heard it on every single podcast and every TV show I've watched when talking about this game. But the Dolphins and Pats tend to play weird games. And uh, if there's one Patriot disciple that I actually believe in as a head coach, it's Brian Flores, who has done a really good job and helped turn that season around for the Dolphins. A six-point spread is a lot, um, but I think the Pats are going to give two of some fits here. Now, remember the Dolphins beat New England in week one, Mac, or week two. Mac Jones has grown a lot since then, right? Mac Jones has, has become a, a pretty solid quarterback and has continued to develop over the weeks. Um, and, and the way they can run the ball, the, I think the one weakness on Miami is, is their interior you know, defensive line. And to start off the season, the Pats didn't really have that identity yet of like, we're just going to jam the ball down your throats. And I think they're going to be able to do it here. I think New England wins this game by uh, at least the touchdown. So I'm going to take New England to cover the six, even though I do think that number is pretty high. And, um, and that's just because I think most of the public money has been kind of falling in on New England. Um, three games left, Seattle versus Arizona. Um, not really a whole lot here. Uh, the Seahawks don't have anything to play for. Uh, the Cardinals, I think, um, could theoretically still win the NFC West. I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, I mean, it's not it's not clinched yet for the Rams, right? So I guess theoretically that means, yes, there is a way for the Cardinals to win. Um, and I guess if they have the same record, I think the Cardinals do have the head-to-head tiebreaker against the Rams. So, yes. So the Cardinals win. They do have something to play for. Um, but right now it's either they're going to be um, like the two or three seed or they're going to be the five seed. The Seahawks, I mean, look, they've looked pretty good the last couple of weeks, right? Meaningless games. Russ is going to go out there and compete. Um, I think the Cardinals need to play their starters, even if they, you know, even if they had it locked up, you know, except for maybe, I guess you don't want to start Kyler because the injury concerns with him, but you know, I, they, the rest would be big, but I just think this team needs to continue the mojo, right? They had the huge win against Dallas. That win was massive. So can they continue this, this growth, right? It's like you want to hit the playoffs when you're hot. You, know, you don't want to hit it when you're after, you know, like the Colts and the Cardinals who were both teams that got hot, you know, at different points in the season. And now maybe are a little, a little more shaky as we're heading into the you know, postseason. You want to be rolling in with a rhythm, which is part of why Aaron Rodgers wants to play on Sunday. And so the Cardinals, I think they're going to be for full force. The line, I do believe, reflects that. Arizona six-and-a-half favorite at home. Do you, The question with this one is how much do you believe in Kyler Murray? J.J. Uh, Watt, by the way, uh, just got activated back. And so I'm not sure if we'll see him in this game, but it looks like we're going to see J.J. Watt back for the playoffs, which is insane. That dude is – for all of the funny stuff about J.J. Watt and the Captain America bullshit – it is wildly impressive to see, you know, the career he's had, the longevity he's had, some of the rehab stuff he does. Um, it, it's wild, man. And and all credit to J.J. Watt, who by all accounts is one of the best defensive players in, in, in my lifetime. And uh, good, you know, shouts to him. Um, I'm going to take Arizona here. I think the defense found something last week. I, I think the Seahawks, look, I think they're moving on from Pete Carroll at the end of the season. I've been saying that for a while now. And, and I think they should. Um, and I think Arizona is starting to find a little bit of something here, you know? Um, so yeah, give me the Cardinals, give me Arizona. I don't have a whole lot more to add on that one, unfortunately. Uh, Panthers bucks. 
the Antonio Brown saga. How much of a distraction is that going to be? Uh, you, you come away from New York by the skin of your teeth with this crazy distraction. Your coach kind of seems like an asshole. Your former player kind of seems like an asshole. You still don't have Chris Godwin. Um, you know, you're still banged up at running back. Mike Evans, at least you have there. You still have Gronk. The defense is finally all kind of back and healthy. They're an eight-point favorite against Carolina. I think that honestly feels a little bit low. And, of course, what's going to happen is Tampa Bay is going to, you know, win this game, finish three and four, and the Rams are going to lose. And then all of a sudden, you know, Tampa Bay is the two-seed again, despite all of the shit that just went on. And that's why I'm going to take Tampa Bay to win and cover the eight points. Cause I just, I don't think Carolina is a good football team. I think they're going to destroy Sam Donald who looked slightly better last week than he did before. And, you know, and, and they were playing what New Orleans, right? Yeah. So, I mean, good for Sam Donald, I guess, you know, the Panthers are in a rough spot. They're probably going to finish the season five and 12. I definitely don't think Carolina wins this game uh, and, and eight points. I think that's a pretty dead on line, but, Give me Tom Brady to get everybody back on track and, and go out and win this game. Uh, and then the last game, Chargers-Raiders. This is by far the game that means the most. This game is in L- uh, sorry, in Las Vegas. You win, you're in. You lose, you're out. Now, I heard part of my take and a couple other places say this, which I thought was really funny. You could just knee the ball out back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and you would both be with a tie. Um, and you would both theoretically make the playoffs, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> but I think both coaches came out and said they're not going to do that. So uh, this is a, you know, young coach versus the interim coach who's the, the NFL, you know, vet who's been around the league for 25, 30 years. Uh, it's the young hotshot quarterback and Justin Herbert, who everybody loves. Same thing with the coaching staff. And then On the other side is Derek Carr, who's been somewhat lovable this year, more so a team who's gone through all this adversity. Again, with the interim head coach, um, both defenses, you know, porous through the air when it comes to the the Vegas Raiders. You can run all over the the Chargers. This is just an interesting, weird kind of game. And I, I think it's really fascinating. I love that this is the Sunday night matchup. Right now, the Chargers are a three-point favorite, and honestly, I think this game is probably going to come down to a field goal. But similar to what we were talking about with the Alabama-Georgia game, who do you like the best, right? Who's the best player on the field at any given moment? Well, when the Chargers are out, when Chargers are on offense, Justin Herbert's the best player on the field, right? When the Chargers are on defense, Joey Bosa, Derek Carr, they're probably both equally as good at their own positions, right? Um but Joey Bosa, I, I don't know if he's playing in this game. I think he's currently listed as questionable. So that's going to be a big deal. I think this is high scoring. The over-under is at 50. I would hammer the over here, and I would also take the L.A. Chargers to win um, and make the playoffs. I, I just I, – I think they've – between these two teams, which is the better team that we've watched all year? And to me, the answer seems pretty clear that it's the Chargers. So give me the Chargers to win and uh, and take it. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. Um, like I said, Bama, they're going to roll. I gave you the NFL picks. And uh, that's all we have on the pod today. Um, short pod. Like I said, it's late. Apologies again. But um, thank you, everybody, for listening. 2021 was an awesome year. I meant to say this on Tuesday's pod, and I didn't. It was an awesome year. It was, it was cool to start this thing. Um, you know, we've gotten literally thousands of downloads for this, you know, this thing. 
um, in the first year, which is a number, you know, I, certain numbers, I just didn't think we would hit. And um, all of that is, is attributed to the people who listen, the people who tune in every week and download and share it. And so um, thank you. Thank you guys for that. It's um, it's been a lot of fun. We hope we're going to keep this thing rolling all throughout 2022. And when NFL wraps up, this is going to, we're going back to it, right? We're going back to the sports gumbo format here. It's going to be a whole lot of, of mixed bag. Um, obviously going to be a lot of NFL content. We're going to have March Madness coming up. There's golf on. I'm literally watching the champions classic on while I'm recording this pod. It's on the background. A lot of, lot of fun stuff. Obviously we'll get ready for MLB with our boy Scotty and, and the NBA season will, will come in, which seems like it's pretty wide open. So we should hopefully have a really interesting NBA slate uh, as we get into the summer. And then next thing you know, we're going to have the draft. We're going to have free agency. We're going to have the combine. We're going to have all this stuff. And then boom, before you know it, the 2022 NFL season will kick up again. We'll be right back here because it always goes that fast. So enjoy the final full week of football. I hope all of your teams win. I hope all the teams you want to lose, lose. I hope you win all of your bets. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Enjoy the national championship game on Monday. We will have a reaction pod out afterwards. And um, what's that I say at the end of Oh, yeah. Take it easy, everybody.